ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We're basically there, friends. We are basically here. We have had our send-off match. We are mere days. We could probably get down to hours away from the beginning of the Women's World Cup. But before we get to that, we do need to talk about the send-off match. So the Matildas defeated France 1-0, a Mary Fowler goal. We simply love to see it. We need to talk about it, though, because send-off games are weird. And there's lots of vibes and there's lots of feelings and we need to basically talk through it. So before we begin that, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Yuggera people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For this France recap, you've got me, Marissa Lodanik, Anna Harrington and Sam Lewis. So, my dudes, send-off game. It was a win, but it was a weird game and I I still don't know like how much we should actually take from it because there were definitely positives in it, but I don't know how much it should be inflating my hopes and dreams. So do either of you know what we should be taking from this result and how we should all be feeling? Uh, Sam did a ripper piece on this for the ABs. Ah, if my, you just looked at me like my mic wasn't working. <laughs> No, I was going to say, Sam did a ripper piece on this in the ABC today, um, which I think you should go into in more depth, Sam. Um, my first thing is you should take it at face value. You have a clean sheet, you score a goal, you create multiple chances against the world number five, and yeah, you conceded some pretty good chances as well, and I think a more clinical team would have put them away. But that was just sort of the, the balance of the game. I think, I think all you can do is look at this game not just in isolation, but among a string of really good results against really good oppositions, which has included clean sheets, which has included conversion. Um, the best thing I got out of this uh, game was that the goal came when Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford had left the field. It was four minutes later. Um, I think Tony Gustafson said he uh, changed formation and changed positions to players about four times. Um, this goal comes when Kari Cooney crosses on the wing and <laughs> you've got Mary Fowler and Hayley Razzo in attack. Like, there's just so many different things that are happening and they found a way to get a result again at the end of the day. They did what good teams do and they're not just doing it against anyone. They've, you know, they're getting clean sheets and winning games against your world number, what, number five, number four, number three in the past, you know, few months. That's a fair bank of evidence <laughs> if ever there was any. And if it were any other team, I think most people would say that's, World Cup winning form. It's peaking at the right time. It's doing all the right things. There's depth, there's excitement, there's passion, there's enthusiasm. There's just this quiet sort of brimming confidence you feel. Um, and now you're getting it in front of these big crowds. It, it just feels primed to explode in a really good way. Um, but Sam, you you just, you did this uh, great read for the ABC today um, about how, yeah, how close this team could be. You could expand please yeah yeah absolutely uh funnily enough i actually think the 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 person who summarized this game and this moment best was actually the french head coach herve renard Mm. afterwards he said that the matildas played this game like they were ready and france didn't play like they were ready and i feel like that line completely captures this moment for the matildas they really are feeling like a team that's ready for this tournament and that's a very unusual feeling for long-suffering Matildas fans remember coming into 2019 where it was the polar opposite circumstances we'd lost 
Alan Stajic five months before the tournament had happened. There was a lot of uncertainty about players. There was a lot of uncertainty about, about tactics and style because Ante Milicic had come in so late. We didn't really quite understand the kind of football they wanted to play. We didn't know, you know what, what was going on. We didn't really know the identity of this team. But three, four years on now, it's it's a completely different kettle of fish. It's a completely different side. It's a completely different feeling, you know. Like even though you've got so many of the same players who were there in France, they they are a shadow of who they were back then. And you know, the Tony Gustafson, I think, is the he's the grand architect of all of this. And so you know, the, his opening lines in the the post match press press conference, which I also reference in the story, were him harking back to the process it was him talking about two and a half years ago when i first came on board football australia presented me with the performance gap report and that report has guided every single decision that he has made even if we haven't been able to see it from the outside even if fans haven't been able to understand it he has always been driven by this thing he's been driven by the 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 requirement to create more depth in the squad, which the 2019 World Cup really exposed. And he also had to try and improve our performances against top-ranked nations, which historically we've really suffered against, not just in friendlies, but especially in major mm-hmm. tournaments. So these and were the European two jobs. Officially- and particularly European opposition, exactly right. So these were sort of his two big jobs coming into his his tenure as the head coach of the Matildas. And there were there have been moments along the way where those two things have clashed. Those two things have not they've been mutually exclusive. They haven't been able to be done at the same time. And I think perhaps the Asian Cup is a really good example of that. But it feels like now this game against France, it it completely encapsulated both of those strands of his job over the last two and a half years. The fact that the goal was scored using two of the players who he kind of plucked from nowhere in Mary Fowler and Kara Cooney-Cross, who have become some of the most extraordinary players in the last two years, especially Kyra, who we'll talk a little bit about later. Um, the fact that they scored those goals with Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford off the field, as you mentioned, Harrow, the fact that they were able to hold on to the lead, that they were able to shift and shuffle formations, that they were able to bring on extra defenders, that they were able to respond to um, unexpected losses of players and to make a gallop expect to come off in the second half. They were able to adapt and adjust and do things on the fly as though it was muscle memory, as though they've done this stuff again and again and again that is just like built into their brains now. They didn't have to be shouted at from the sidelines about it. They just knew what to do. And I think that knowing, that deep knowledge of exactly how to manage a game is the thing that separates this Matildas team from the Matildas team that Tony started with. I don't think the Matildas knew how to manage a game from the first to the last whistle in exactly the way that they can do it now. And this game against France was the the perfect example of that. And Sam, I like that you've mentioned those two jobs that Tony's got given. And also, I think it's worth mentioning that he can't really do the former without succeeding in the latter. Like, it was pretty clear to compete with the best they had to develop it. And they had to bring it on quickly. Yeah, And that was always going to bring teething problems and Tony knew that. And let's be honest, like if we're a more uh, fickle administration, it could have cost him his job with some of those results. Mm. We had conversations about this, like that the FA had to, you know, decide one way or the other. And they stood behind their men. They knew that Tony was the guy they wanted to, you know, bring forth these results. They backed the plan they had in place. And right now they're bearing fruit at exactly the right time. So you know, Tony talked about patience in terms of his players last night scoring. 
uh, waiting for that opportunity to come. But um, FA deserves some credit for that. Um, yeah, you talk about all the debutants that have come in. I, I, I wouldn't say Mary Fowler's quite plucked the way that Kyra Cooney crosses. Like both of those players were like on the radar clearly yeah, in 2019. But you, but you know what I do like, Sam, as to your point there, is Fowler was in that 2019 squad and had some Matildas caps, but had sort of really drifted out of some people's consideration to the point where some people are going, I know she's very much correct in this. Oh, is she, she going to go and play for Ireland or is, what, what's mm. the go here? And, you know, clearly she was a young player finding her feet, needed to get that right move. And um, I know I've seen some footage of her playing for Adelaide, but that clearly wasn't where she really started to find her feet. It was at Montpellier, um, like where she started to find her feet and got brought really back into the fold and accepted the call up and has really just gone from strength to strength. And I remember Tony saying when I spoke to him pre-Olympics that, um, this is obviously two years ago now, which is scary. Um, that with Mary and Kara, he just wanted them. I think his quote was that he wanted to just let them sparkle. Like he didn't want to put pressure mm. on them initially. He just wanted them to bring what they could bring. And, you know, we forget that Kara Cooney Cross had some tough runs, like being played as a six and really looking out of it at times, like looking a bit lost. And um, obviously as a young player, like still finding a feat, she had patchy form at victory and, they really, they've really backed her through and they're reaping the rewards of it now. Um, I, we can run the numbers. We, we've done it all with the squad, like how many players they booed or got brought into camp. And, you know, you have some situations where you have the the tough run that uh, Courtney Nevin and Jess Nash had against the US. And I think for what it's worth, Jess Nash is fine and will be fine and will be a part of the Matildas in the future because she's a good young player. But Courtney Nevin has gone on and got a WSL contract and done really well there. And yep. clearly they back her to come on and do a job, especially when they need to rotate out Steph Kelly. Charlie Grant, obviously a beneficiary of injury, but has stepped up. Fantastic. Um, the decision to play Katrina Gorey as a six, obviously, played the, the shift in formation that we've talked about so many times and we don't need to rehash over. Like All of these things have been... Yeah, worked through. Um, and, you know, you've also got players like Courtney Vine, who's, you know, I think was sort of not really being looked at. And there was a real sort of groundswell to get her in, took her chance mm. as a train-on player ahead of the Asian Cup and has effectively been a starter since. So, yeah, they they actually really deserve the credit they're getting now. And, you know, we've talked about it time and time again, but Claire Hunt, the way she can step into it. Unbelievable, and yeah. We know she's been highly rated for a long time. I, we don't like to rehash over some of the things we've talked about, but she's been highly rated for a long time. Young Matildas, you know, at Canberra, they rated her super highly, was on the radar for ages, but injuries, 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 injuries. And then she starts playing well for Western Sydney and does her shoulder of all things. Like <laughs> what happened with Alana Kennedy. But as soon as they brought, they could bring her in, they did. And she just looks so assured. I know she had that um, heavy touch um, early on against France and sort of got her pocket picked. I think it was by Kenza Dali or was it by Bash? There was, Yeah. And, um, but she sort of shrugged it off, dusted herself off and, and carried on. I think that was how um, David Davidovich put it in the, in the mix zone. And she, she admitted as much like, and the way she's been able to combine with Claire Polkinghorne, with Steph Catley. And then for the first time last night, Alana Kennedy, who deserves a lot of borders for the way she's come back and played her totally. first international appearance in, oh, just since, since September. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's really exciting. Um, and that defence with fortitude and depth is almost more so that that lightning attack is, is what gets you really excited because, let's be honest, defence wins titles, right? Exactly. And I was having this conversation <laughs> with friend of the pod, Emma Burke, earlier tonight, actually, about the fact that, like, not enough people are talking about 
the the clean sheets that we've secured against these nations, particularly in the top five. It's a clean sheet against England, it's a clean sheet against Sweden, and it's a clean sheet now against France. And that is so important because, yes, it's going to, like, the, the strikers, the attackers, the goals, they always get the headlines, they always get the plaudits, but to win tournaments... You you can't concede goals. That's the whole that's the whole game. That's the what you have to do. Look, so look at that England men's under twenty one team recently, Sam. They didn't concede a goal all tournament. Yeah, uh, exactly. I know that's like youth international football, but it's just something that has literally just happened. It's quite hard yeah. to go without conceding a single goal. But geez, that's it right. makes your life a lot easier if you don't concede <laughs> many. Exactly. And so the fact that we are flying into this World Cup with more defensive depth across multiple positions than maybe we've had in a whole generation of players is amazing. And we saw, I think that in this France game in particular, we saw actually what that depth looks like. We saw Polkinghorn, we saw Kennedy, we saw Hunt, we saw Ivy Lewick, we saw Courtney Nevin, we saw Ellie Carpenter and Steph Catley. The only other player we didn't see was Charlie, was Charlie Grant. But like the fact that but we can have lags. that. Yeah, and she only arrived in a couple of days ago as well, so it's not really a surprise that we and didn't see her. And we know what she her. can do. We know what she can do. She's 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 proved her worth and in so many ways. So the fact that we can sit here and like rattle off all of these names and not just rattle them off, but also feel incredibly assured by all of them and what they can bring to this side in particular moments, that in itself is like the most exciting thing for me. And you know what backs it all up is that you've got three really good goalkeepers, but the best one right now for mine is clearly Mackenzie Arnold. Because if you're Claire Hunt and you have that heavy touch, you get the ball pinched away, you go, sorry, Mickey Mouse, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to score. But I know it wasn't the best shot, I think, from Bachelor that it could have been, but Mackenzie Arnold never looked flustered. She just went bang and blocked it away. If yep. you're a defender and you know that even if you make a mistake, you're going to have someone of the quality and instinctiveness and just um, confidence at the moment of Mackenzie Arnold, I feel like you'd be feeling up here a thousand feet taller, like just walking taller. And I think it actually um, permeated through that team afterwards because there were times where other players were getting caught out and you saw Claire Hunt getting back. And um, at one point she managed to catch up to Diani. She has this incredible closing speed, which is something that I think this defence has really, really missed for a long time. I know that mm. Catley and Carpenter have it, and in the past the solution was let's get Carpenter, look at the 2021 Olympics, right? Catley or Carpenter Central to counter quick centre-backs, quick, sorry, quick strikers. And I know Eugenie uh, Lesama is at the tail end of her career. She's still a very, very good player, but isn't, like, rapid. But the way that um, Claire Hunt, has and I feel like it is a very AFL years term closing speed, but I think it, it's perfect to describe the way she plays. She mm. looks like someone's going to get away, but she just makes up that late ground and all of a sudden is getting that crucial interception in, um, that crucial toe or the positioning, and um, it, it's just so so reassuring. But yeah, I was actually Sam when <laughs> before we did this part, I was like tapping away on a piece about defense for tomorrow, <laughs> and I was like, oh geez. You just feel so much more confident. And the way Ellie Carpenter was striding out as well last night, the way she just has that clearly not lost any of her athleticism and speed and ability to make those runs, um, as Angela would say, but gusting mm. runs. Um, it's just <laughs> just fantastic. Um, but, yeah, it just it just feels like things are clicking. And I, I really like the way that they did flick the switch on a couple of things, put Kara Cooney cross out to the wing, where she played really well in that mm. most recent Melbourne victory season where she was sort of struggling a bit in the midfield. She got pushed out to the wing when Chidiak came in there. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and she just is such a like handful with her pace and some of the balls she can play in and I like that they were able to show that by shifting because we've seen I think we've seen the Alex Chidiak Liverpool quite a few times and the way they managed to sort of bring you know say Van Egmond in there and change it up a little bit see a couple of different looks it and it still paid off that that's what's really exciting because as Tony would know probably better than anyone being with that US team you can't have a one wood when it comes to this this approach with game changes right because you have plan A, you have plan B, and if both get forward, then what are you going to do? So they were trying out, it felt like at time, C, D, E, F, and um, whichever one they rotated through, they managed to get it to work. So that that was really exciting for me. Yeah, what a luxury as well to not just have this depth of squad and this versatility of players and a number of players who can play a number of different positions if required, but also the ease with which they were able to move through those tactical changes, to move through those different formations, to just like almost seamlessly transition from like a 4-4-2 to a 4-3-3 to a 5-3-1, you know, like just and they, they just did it like they'd been rehearsing it for windows and windows and windows because they have. And this is the other thing, like when you actually look at this 90 minutes in the context of every single window that they have been practising this stuff, I like I haven't rewatched all of those windows, but I can almost guarantee that there have been games across the last two and a half years where one of the formations that we saw against France was tested. It's all been laid out there like breadcrumbs. And if we go back and look and assess all of those games, I am absolutely certain that we have seen lots of different bits and pieces that went into that France game, all tried and tested against lots of different opponents. And this was the game where it all really came together and you saw actually what all of those pieces looked like when they lined up properly for the first time. So that was, yeah, that is such a thrill. And coming into a tournament like this where you're playing such different styles, such different systems, different strengths and qualities of opponents, you have to be able to adjust to that stuff on the fly. You have to be able to react in game. You have to be able to think for yourself and you have to be able to coach each other. And one of the really big challenges, of course, is that like when you're in front of 75,000 people at a stadium, you're not going to be able to hear Tony over on the sideline. You have to be able to know exactly what to do and you have to be able to look at all of your teammates and everyone needs to to borrow a Tonyism to see the same picture and everyone has to be able to react in the same way. And that is exactly what that France game showed that they can now do. Well, that back five, just it just takes back to the Olympics, right? But yeah. the really nice, comforting thing was it wasn't Captain Carpenter <laughs> having to necessarily be the, you know, two of the three in the, the back three for, you know, with the five, right? So that was quite comforting. I, I also did enjoy the pure unadulterated enough craft from Claire Hunt being like, we had four central defenders on the field. <laughs> like, <laughs> ah, a little treat for Claire yeah. and the centre-backs. You and us both, Claire. We're all loving it, Dal. <laughs> but no, it, it was fantastic. It was I also, we haven't really talked about it enough because the goal was fucking spectacular. Um, It was so good. I already mentioned because Ford and Kerr were off the pitch, but for like so many reasons, um, like it felt, and Tony said as much in the presser um, when I asked him about this, he loves to do this thing like, were you listening at halftime? I'm like, you know, I wasn't Tony. (laughs) We could all see that they were not converting their chances. Um, it felt like in that first half that they're, you know, great little breakaways, great little runs, great little through balls. And then that final pass, that final move, 
Um, whether it was one player not reading the other or just the execution, it just wasn't happening. Like we saw it with Sam Kerr, we saw it with Courtney Vine. Uh, we even saw it with that Caitlin Ford one where she had Wendy Renard on skates and then hit it straight into the goalkeeper. Uh, like we we saw that just the finishing touch wasn't there. And what was so wonderful about that goal, um, you know, the build up from Mackenzie Arnold back and the, uh, just the the way Hayley Razzo was involved is just wonderful. Um, the initial touch and then carrying on running. But her presence of mind, um, and Tony talked about this and Mary Fowler talked about this, um, to, and I'm sure it does come from knowing where each other are at Man City training, right? And it sounded like Mary Fowler was absolutely screaming for it, which is very impressive with 50,000 very much screaming fans. Like, they were screaming. Anytime the ball went for, screaming. Um, for, so for Mary Fowler and Hayley Razzo to be able to hear each other communicate, Razzo puts in that wonderful ball. And I love the way that Fowler described it. It was like along the lines of, I was in so much space. And then she took a touch. And I was like, oh, no. But then she played it anyway. And then you don't really think about what's happening. Then. You just do it. And I was like, you have to score this. Um, oh, no, you've got to score this. And I did. And I did. <laughs> like, yeah. And I did. I just love the <laughs> little, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, she's oh, no. done it. Oh, shit. That means that I have to go and she's do this now. <laughs> she's taking a touch. It's not going to come to me. But I was in so much space. Oh, wait. She is going to play. Like, oh. Like, I love the going back to that, and then she still forgets to celebrate, apparently. Um, but just the way that Razzo put in that lovely ball, and Fowler takes a fantastic first touch mm. on her left and then finishes on her left. Like, I remember Sam Kerr saying a couple of years ago that she's the best finisher in this team, left foot, right foot, doesn't matter. And it was just so classy. It was so clinical. And I think, like, it was so cathartic for everyone in that stadium. Mm. Um, and it's, it's doing things like that that makes you go, uh, because this was a fiery game. It was physical. It was contested. I know it was a warm-up game, but geez, uh, there wasn't much pulling of punches, especially if you're Eugenia Lissamere around Alana Kennedy. Pretty funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> but to get through that frustration and have, I think as Tony put it, the patience and the composure and the vision, and it's that knowledge. You talked about it, Sam, in terms of they know what one thing they know these formations they need to go into but they also know where each other need to be. They know who's going to be making these runs. They know who's going to be playing where. And that, that doesn't just count for Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford, although that's the, the pairing and, you know, Emily Van Eagle as well. That's the sort of players that you talk about a lot as knowing each other's games. That includes Hayley Razzo and Mary Fowler. All these players have trained together, played together. They they know where each other are. Like Hayley Razzo should know where Mary Fowler is going to be. And Mary Fowler would have the confidence that Razzo put the ball in the right place. And then, all said and done. In, but in a big game where it gets heated, that's what you want. You want those moments of composure and smarts and picking out the weakness, picking out the time and executing. That was what really excited me because mm. I was so close to having to think about writing a story that was like, the Matildas will go into the World Cup, you know, looking for a more clinical edge. They're still going to want that, but they know they can find it, right? And not just through the players who you expect either. That's what's so thrilling about the goal. And what I also really loved about the goal as well, and I, the way that I saw it described, I think by someone on Twitter, I can't remember, but it seemed to really completely encapsulate the style of the Matildas as well. Like it was, I think, five passes from Ellie Carpenter to the finishing shot was five passes. And it went wide in transition it cut in field it went down through the the wing on for Haley Rasso cut back in, into the into the middle of the box for a for a, a finish and I was like this is it is it it's the kind of football where you know it's so hard to do but when it's done 
like that, it looks so easy. Like it's literally just five passes. It's like, it's when, it's when maths becomes like art, you know what I mean? Like it, it just looked like it was, it was something that they had practiced and practiced and practiced such that it just became instinct to them. It was, it was fabulous. And I think the, like knowing that they can do that in those circumstances, having lost their captain, having lost Caitlin Ford, who was also having such a great game. Like I, I expected her to probably be the first Matilda to score if any of them did, because she was just so driven in that central midfield role as playing as basically the number 10, the attacking midfielder. Anytime she picked up the ball, like just outside the box, she had so much space and she would just charge at him and use the, the really like, precise dribbling skills to be able to get around and, and create these angles, especially around Wendy Renard. So I fully expected her to be the one who would have to claw something out. And so the two of them left and I was like, Oh no, <laughs> like, what's going to happen now? But you know, this have faith, everyone have faith. We, we got to, you know, Tony's been telling us all the time that we got to trust the process, believe in the, in the bigger picture and, and trust that these players who he's been trying and testing over the past couple of years are going to come good and they have and that's what's yeah that's what's so exciting about it. and I think like again coming back to what I mentioned at the start of the of the pod Kyra Cooney Cross I think has has been extraordinary this is like I when she first started with the Matildas and we we first sort of got glimpses of her um I didn't imagine that she would be able to exceed the ceilings that I had like placed on her mentally but she has become so crucial to the Matildas that I would put her in probably like top five players of like, we need her to stay fit if we want to win the tournament. We need her to stay fit because she is the connecting tissue between the defense and the attack in so many ways. And the fact that she kept running for 98 minutes, including like all the way to the back end of of injury time in the second half, she was on that right wing. She made a, a run to to pressure, I think, the goalkeeper or something. She lost the ball. Then she turned around and she sprinted half the field to pressure the French player who had the ball after running that entire game. Like, it, it, she's just – she's miraculous. Her and Katrina Gori as that sort of midfield pairing is – just a revelation. I am so, so thrilled that that's what our midfield looks like because I trust both of those players with my life. Mm-hmm. I love it. And, you know, because they're both players that will try and bite off more than they can chew sometimes because if you've got high risk, high reward players, that's what they do. That's because they can do amazing things. Every now and then there'll be a, a turnover. But I think you play knowing that that's a possibility. And what I love was how generally, generally, Matilda's much more organised than we've seen, say, in the past with dealing with turnovers. I always think about that first USA goal in Newcastle where there was just not players tracking back and there was not, yeah. like, it was just fucking chaos, right? Um, compared to when the ball was, say, lost in midfield last night, you you felt like, one, they were both on it to track it down. And forget that Katrina Gorey wasn't in this mix, you know, around Asian Cup. And she's just so integral. She was the missing piece, like, so clearly, right? And she's clearly helping... Um, Katrina, sorry, she's clearly helping Kyra Cooney Cross go from strength to strength because if you were playing with a player like that, uh, sort of next to you and behind you, you you'd feel like you can do anything, right? Um, and that run she went on, oh my god, it deserved a goal. It was I incredible. Know. Her close ball control was just insane. Um, it was like watching, like you know, when you see like the the slaloms in skiing where they go, it's like she was just like cutting swaths through this the middle of Marvel Stadium. 
it was it was incredible. Um, and yeah, she's such a good player. She should have had an assist as well for that forward one that she hit into the keeper. Like, yeah, they're they're both fantastic. Uh, I love the little sort of it was almost like an inside out pass that that um, Cooney Cross did for the goal. Oops. Yeah, they're very fun to watch, and I agree with what you say, Sam. Caitlin Ford as that 10, it really, really does compliment them. It looks so much better, that sort of half strike. And I love the way that it still worked when Mary Fowler dropped in there and we sort mm. of tried sort of Hayley Razzo as a striker, when Emily Van Egmont went in there. You could see that they all deliver different dimensions and different parts, but, but it works. It's it's super exciting. Of course, there are still things to clean up with the, with this team. Like some of those chances, I think on another day, if France felt more ready, they would have put them away. Like, they should have scored yeah. at least one of those three golden chances in the first half. Great blocks by Catley and Hunt and also Mackenzie Arnold, but a bit more clinical finishing and, you know, one of those gets buried. Um, but, you know, that's how these things can play out. Um, they're under pressure at the end of the game. I love that they how well they defended to keep that clean sheet because France were clearly turning the screws. And when you've emptied your bench and you've changed every thing up and it's not really a realistic game scenario right because you're not going to be <laughs> throwing like four people on that quickly um I like how they defended there I, I really hope it's not a serious um injury for Tamiki Yellup because I think mm. she has a really important role to play and when that goal was scored you, you watch it actually and she was in the perfect position Fowler made entirely the right decision to shoot but Yellup got herself in the right position if something happened she'd need to pass or if the shot hadn't been good and had rebounded out she would have been there for the for the tap in, I'm pretty sure yep. she was she was on side. So she's a very smart player. She's versatile. She can fit in where you need. She runs and runs and runs. The amount of ground she covers is really impressive. And I think just that experience. You hope it's we haven't got any update on on that knee yet. Tony indicated they hoped it wasn't too serious. If it was a World Cup game, she probably would have kept playing. So you hope it's just one of those nasty little hyper extensions you see. Mm. But, um, but yeah, worry if if so. We know Amy Say is the the player on standby likely for Kai Simon or, or Yellow if one of them doesn't get up right. But I think that's the only real concern. Alana Kenny clearly had a little bit of cramp. Sam Pierre um, did the relax to the crowd when she had the, the ice on the hamstring. A lot of players seem to be managed. But, yeah, seemed seemed to be in a, a pretty good position heading into this opening game. I had some notes just while you guys were talking. I loved listening, but I had some notes. So first of all, I'm shocked that no one mentioned my personal favourite quote of the night, which was Tony gleefully saying, I have a lot of start of starting centre-backs. They give me a headache now. <laughs> and he literally laughed in the press conference about his little centre-back problem. And when I tell you the face I pulled in that media conference where I was just like, oh, damn, we've got four starting centre-backs now and he has a problem about which ones to pick. I have seen what the Lord has done for others and he has done it to us now. Thank you. Like, <laughs> holy shit. What a no, time I'm to Bruce, be alive. My favourite my bit of the press conference was when Tony gets a question that's, um, so Mackenzie Arnold's done enough now to look herself in as uh, number one goalkeeper, right? Yeah, it seems normal. It's coming from Mark Schwarzer. <laughs> <laughs> And then Tony's like, well, I have to defer to the experts. So good. So <laughs> she good. just goes, oh, maybe I should get Tony Franken up there. <laughs> <laughs> the goalkeeper. <laughs> good. I, love I just love that. What are you going to say? Like, if, arguably, Australia's what greatest ever goalkeeper. Yep. Like, at least most prolific goes, this is who I think should be in goal. They've been fantastic. Well, how do you argue with that? <laughs> It almost a flex in itself, um, but I, it, it made me laugh, and I was like, "Oh, it's it's nice to be in agreement." 
it was a very fun press conference as well. Mary Fowler, when she came in, she sat at the desk with all of the media hoardings behind her and she's like, I feel like the president. And we all just pissed <laughs> out. She's very funny. She is very good value. Um, but speaking of her, I wanted to point out as well with the goal, my favourite part of it was pointed out on Twitter by friend of the pod, Kieran, who said that Fowler never like deliberately raced forward to get in line with the defenders. She always made sure to stay that kind of half step behind and in between the two lines of the French defence and the French midfield. Mm. And just like, you know, the intelligence, the awareness, making sure that you have this space and you keep it because your defenders haven't realised that you have this space. So loved that from her. Thank you, friend of the pod, Kieran. And also I love that you mentioned Meeks doing that run as well because I feel like that's the hallmark of Tameki Olop, especially at club level. Like I feel like so many Brisbane Raw games, you just saw her pop up because she had made that kind of secondary run and she was there ready to score a goal. So we love to see her and we obviously hope she is doing well. Um, the final thing I wanted to mention was just right at the very start when we were talking about like, like we've seen all of this and we all feel good because like things are happening when they're supposed to. Our fourth ever episode was the announcement of Tony Gustafson as Matilda's coach. So we have literally been in existence for as long as the Tony Gustafson era. I don't think there is a single Matilda's game in that time that we have missed. So it's really weird for me to be like, we have watched this team grow and develop in such intense detail because we've had to do these podcasts after every single game. Um, And I remember one of the things that would sometimes kind of grate in 2021 or even early 2022 was, you know, talking about peaking at the right time. And it's like, but I want results now. Like I understand the project, but I still want results now. And now it's like, are we peaking at the right time? I think we are. Um, So, yeah, I don't know what to do with this optimism bubbling inside my stomach but it's going to be fun to find out how it actually goes do we have any final takes i have one i loved um and sam i know you alluded to it in your article as well i think i did in mine as well but where tony was talking about um just the spirit in the team like talking about you have center backs on the bench coaching the center backs who are on the field when mary fowler's scoring it's it's um Karen Ford on the bench that are cheering her more loudly than anyone. And I think Fowler also said, like, it sort of represents for this team is that, that everyone's sort of happy for each other to succeed. They want each other to succeed. And yeah. you see it so often when teams are under the pump, the thing that often gets scrutinised is you look at vision of players' games, and this happens in all sports. It's very big in AFL in Melbourne. Marissa can attest to this too. When you see the panel shows on a Monday night and they go, oh, they're not going so well, so you start to see... And it happens in every sport. You see, like, selfish acts creep into players' games. Like, they try and, you know, in football terms, they'd be like, going for a worldie or going for a pass they can't make, biting off more than they can chew at the wrong time. Um, You know, sulking on the field, like, frustration, mm. like, players not celebrating. This team feels like the opposite of that. Yeah. They just seem to delight in each other's successes. Like, when you see Alana Kennedy preparing to come back from injury and you ask her about Claire Hunt, and she says, the first thing I said to her when I was in camp with her was, where have you been? <laughs> like, mm. Alana Kennedy's first reaction isn't, oh, God, this upstart new player is going to take my spot. It's, fuck yeah, we've got some more defensive depth. Claire Hunt says a similar thing about playing with Alana Kennedy for the first time. And you just know Claire Polkinghorne would have been like, 
yes, my legs. Um, <laughs> save my hammies. Um, like, so it's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, it's a really good vibe. You, you see how, like, you know, student play last night, uh, Alex Chudiak, or even the VNR, the Matildas put out today, where you got Emily Van Egmond talking pretty casually about being a game changer or being a substitute. They're clearly all on that one path, and it's, it's a really exciting position to be in. Um, it's, yeah, it's what you need if you're going to get to the point in the tournament. I did also like that Tony, after reeling off all his stats about, you know, 10 wins or these wins over top 10 opposition and these wins and these clean sheets and all that, and he goes, but it doesn't matter now because that was all preparation, and now we're in the tournament mode. And let's not forget, tournament mode didn't go well last time, but this time it feels like preparation mode has actually gone well. So therefore, tournament mode should be primed to succeed because they're they're playing tournament style football, um, and they're doing it their own way. And I I, I really like that. It, it makes me really excited for for what's to come. So, yeah. and oh my god, Ireland was chaotic. So I'm just really keen to see what what goes on there before we have this game in. Yeah, and this is now. this is another thing, Tenisio, right? Like will I think Tenisio Sullivan play like. He's yeah. completed major damage, thank God. Fantastic player. But what does this mean for her minutes against Australia? Um, how do Australia sort of block that out? And you plan for key players to play and that sort of thing. It's going to be really, really fascinating. Like, yeah. I, and I feel like they're so well prepared um, after that playing in front of a big crowd as well. I did like Caitlin Ford. Um, my colleague yeah. Shane have actually picked up on this saying, actually, they could be a bit louder. They could be a bit louder. Yeah. Far up, yeah. far up. Um, because there is that, yeah indication that sometimes it's quiet until you see like Sam Kerr running forwards with the ball. Um, I stand by my opinion that chance should be very, very simple. And sometimes there's nothing wrong with an Aussie, 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 oi, 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 if it gets a crowd of mostly newbies to football up and going and gets a crowd on your side. Um, So yeah, I think there's, it's all going to grow together. Um, Yeah. It's, it feels good. The vibes, they're good. The vibes, that's it. Do we, do we dare to dream friends? Do we, do we allow the hope to creep in? What I don't know. What are we here for if not to dare to dream? Like that's what World Cups are for, right? Absolutely. Doesn't mean it's gonna happen, but geez, it's gonna be a fun ride, I reckon. Like yeah, I'm gonna, looks scared. I'm gonna live for the hope of it all, but I'm fucking terrified. Like I'm I'm gonna dust <laughs> off my highest but I'm scared. But unfortunately, football brings out a hopeful side in what is otherwise a pessimistic kind of person. So that's all right. We can't wait. Everything's going to be fantastic. Um, I have so many things to say. One, thank you for tuning in. This has been awesome. This has been really good fun. Uh, Number two, the next time we will speak to you will be from our World Cup daily podcast. So we're going to try and have a pot out every day recapping the news, the matches, any fun bits. It's going to be kind of your place to catch up on the World Cup if you are on a flight to some other city, if you are in the car driving places. We are going to try and be the people for you during this World Cup, so make sure you keep your eyes peeled for that. Secondly, if you are still in preview mode, we have previews of every single group. You can go check them out in the feed right now. We had 10 guests on to talk about 10 different countries. Go check them out. They are literally all out right now wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I forgot to do this for every single preview pod. We're running a tipping competition and a bracket challenge over on Footy Tips, which is ESPN's 
tipping site. So if you go to footytips.com.au slash TFP, you will join the Far Post tipping competition. So get around it, around it rather, get onto it. And um, we can't wait to tip against you. But otherwise, as always, we're over on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google, all of the usual spots. Uh, make sure you subscribe and review, especially with daily pods coming. You want those popping up on your phone whenever they do land. As always, we're over um, on social media at the Far Post Pod. But until next time, go chill and say it.